Whether it's due to new highs or lows, cryptocurrencies are in the news daily. People have definite opinions on this, and so in our quest to educate, we have brought an expert to the table. Paul Capelli is a portfolio manager at Galaxy Digital, who are an investment management innovator in the digital asset, cryptocurrency, and blockchain technology sector. Who better to have this discussion with? Welcome to the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, John Lawson, Senior Wealth Advisor at Asante Wealth Management and Sauna Family Office. Welcome to Wealth Wisdom, Paul. So let's dive right into this. Uh, Paul, what is Bitcoin and Ethereum? What is it exactly? Yeah, that's a great question. And we get it all the time. Um, and I, I think really the the fundamental thing to understand is they're, they're both broadly challenging systems that exist out there and they're disruptors, right, to existing systems, right? Whether that be, you know, Bitcoin kind of uh, disrupting uh, the state of, you know, kind of money, right? And, uh, you know, it's kind of a call option on the future of what I think is the banking system, right? Where Ethereum um, certainly is working to facilitate, um, you know, things like decentralized finance and NFTs and other things, right? But it really is a decentralized, permissionless uh, operating system, right? That um, kind of is what we believe is, you know, Web 3.0 and the future of the internet, right? The internet itself was designed to be um, decentralized, right? And then early on as it became public, early, in the early days you saw AOL and Earthlink and Yahoo, and now it's, you know, um, Facebook and Google and Amazon, right? Like these are centralized places that are mining your data, they're following you around the internet. Um, and really that operating system, we wanted to be decentralized, right? Because the world itself is fragmented into a couple different internets right now. You kind of have the, the US and, and North America and the Americas, then you have kind of China and Russia and how they kind of, you know, um, really censor information. And then you, then you have uh, kind of the rest of the world, right? And kind of how they use the internet there, right? And then, you know, besides uh, that, right? We, we think that people should be able to interact in a peer-to-peer -peer manner and remove middlemen and Ethereum helps them do that, right? And then back to Bitcoin for one more second, right? Simply put, right? Bitcoin is a digital commodity, right? That uh, provides an immutable ledger on transactions and transaction history. And uh, it is uh, completely decentralized with a known inelastic supply curve, right? So that's one of the reasons that we feel um, it is an investable asset and needs to be part of portfolios, right? So. Those two things really are the basis for a lot of what is happening right now in the asset class, right? Um, and if it's not Ethereum, it's things that are competing with Ethereum. And if it's not uh, Bitcoin, right, it's things that are trying to advance, right, the financial system as, as we know it, right? And, and that's kind of where um, the asset class is right now. But we expect it to continue to expand and grow much how it has rapidly over the last, you know, 10 years, five years, and certainly the last, you know, 24 to 36 months. Yeah. And so maybe just a little bit of a segue from there, but uh, people have uh, uh, heard, talked about blockchain. How does that relate to this? So, you know, blockchain, right, is really just an open source ledger, right, where you can see transactions, transaction history, right, and what is really happening, the activity, right, of these assets, right? So Bitcoin, for example, has its own blockchain and its own ledger, right? 
Um, it's also the strongest computing system in the world. It is the most widely distributed. It exists in every country that has the internet. And that is really supported by miners, right? Who are keeping the, um, the blockchain secure, right? And that there's a financial reward for that, right? And Ethereum obviously has its own blockchain. That blockchain is more designed to have applications built on top of it to kind of support this, you know, operating system, right? It's kind of a decentralized, you know, what I think is like an, an like a back of the television or, or an operating system like iOS or Android that you see with iPhones or, or Samsung, right? And things like that, right? So those blockchains, while they are immutable ledgers and they record transactions, they are also the network, right? That supports these assets, right? And the, and the applications built on top of them. Fascinating. Great, thanks. I like the uh, uh, comparisons there. It uh, helps uh, helps people who are not in this world understand it a little bit more. So uh, that's much appreciated. I think making it relatable, right? Making crypto relatable, yeah. right? And 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 really, what people have to remember is this: this is the first time that you can have early stage technology, right, at this level, be invested in um, by by the world and individuals from retail to institutions, right? And that's kind of what we've been seeing, but I, I think having it relate to concepts that people understand already make it a little, a lot less daunting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, you, you touched on the mining side of it. And so there's been talk about uh, ESG concerns uh, regarding Bitcoin uh, and uh, Ethereum. What, what's that about? Yeah. You know, ESG is kind of a, um, you know, it's a hot button topic, right? Uh, in the world we live in today, not just in crypto, right? Every, I think, uh, investor out there, um, every asset manager, every firm, right? They do have this, uh, you know, thematically idea that they need to take into account the environment, social governance, right? Social and governance are naturally covered by the ethos of crypto, right? And kind of what it's doing um, to kind of support individuals, financial freedom, right? Um, money without borders, right? Um, taking back, uh, a, you know, a lot of your information and your data, right? And that is obviously important. But the, the part that gets a lot of play here is the environment, right? Because people are worried about carbon footprints and energy usage. And, and that's really because mining right now is a huge part of the digital asset ecosystem to secure the network to make sure that you know, uh, some of these miners are getting rewarded and, and, and hash rate and other things, right? So, you know, one of the things that people need to understand is that you see Elon Musk tweeting, for example, he's been a very small part of the digital asset history. He really hasn't had no real, um, you know, part in taking, to, in, in advancing this asset class, right? But he's certainly become part of the narrative recently. But the devil really is uh, in the details, right? Bitcoin mining or Ethereum mining, right, um, in, in a proof of work um, setting, right, it just has a lot of, it's using a lot of power, right? That doesn't necessarily mean it's using a lot of, it's, it's emitting carbon, it's emitting gas into the, it's just power, right? It's, it doesn't really have a, a large carbon footprint, right? But the other part is, and I don't want to get too far into this, but the economics of mining, right? And for anybody or anything, right? the power is a cost, right? So the more that you can mine and the more Bitcoin or Ethereum that you can, can mine, right? At a lower cost, right? The higher your profit margin is going to be that goes to the miners, right? So what makes that, what, like, what, what do you want to do? You want to find cheaper power, right? Well, what are cheaper power sources typically? 
renewable energy sources, right? So about 75% or so of the energy sources that are used to mine in digital assets are come from renewable sources. What are renewable sources? Wind, solar, hydraulics, uh, you know, methane gas flares, right? So if you think about that, right, and where the power is really being generated from, from renewable sources, right? How bad really is that, you know, ESG, if you, you know, that E and the ESG component, right? I think so. I think that narrative has been mischaracterized, right? And I think that came from early days. I think it comes from the news cycle that we live in today where people love sensationalized headlines. And I think it just comes from, you know, social media and other things where people always want to have a voice, but they're not really stating the facts or understanding where this is coming from. So I think really when you think about ESG, I think that crypto really strikes at the heart of what they are aiming for, right? It's just such an early stage asset class that people don't understand. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that, that actually is fascinating. Uh, uh, the, the two out of the three, it nails it right out of the park. Right. It's the, uh, uh, so social and government, uh, but the, uh, not government, governance. Uh, and, uh, but it's that environmental piece that, as you say, people are um, not always making decisions with the facts. Uh, right. And uh, un unfortunately, it's uh, fact-based finding on internet, which is not always uh, uh, the best. So uh, it's, uh, mm -hmm. what's the old thing? What? It's, yeah. it's on the internet. It's got to be true. And, and the other thing too, is that remember that this technology, right? Whether Bitcoin or Ethereum, other digital assets, right? At, the, at their heart, right? They're disruptors, right? And any disruptor out there always gets some kind of narrative, right? Because it's challenging some kind of establishment that people are comfortable with, um, that other people, you know, they want to have their arms around because they have, they don't want to lose it, right? So I think one of the ways that you see digital assets attacked, right, is by spreading this narrative that not is not necessarily accurate. Interesting. That's fascinating. Thanks. Um, so maybe let's go backwards before we go forwards here. What, uh, what is the cryptocurrency landscape? How has it changed over the past 12 to 24 months or so? Well, I, I think I'll start off by saying that 12 to 24 months uh, in the crypto and digital asset space is an eternity, right? It's a lifetime based on how fast this asset class moves, how fast price action happens, how fast the technology and adoption happens, right? Um, so, uh, so I'm gonna break that up just a little bit, right? Um, you know, I think we saw a run up in, in late 2017, early 2018, right? That kind of is known as like the, the crypto bubble, right? Um, of, of certainly the one that put it on everyone's map, right? But from there, we saw kind of a crypto winner, right? As we got into the middle of 2018 and 2019 and even the first half of 2020. But that part of the, uh, that part really became about infrastructure development, right? Making this asset class investable, right? Bringing institutions on board, uh, finding the right payment rails and custody solutions and, you know, banking for, for crypto companies, um, you know, uh, figuring out places where you can trade, um, uh, you know, uninterrupted, whether that be um, institutionalizing exchanges or OTC desks, right? And then, you know, giving, and, and then obviously seeing more forward, innovative investors being willing to take a chance, right? On investing into this uh, asset class, right? So 
that's really what you saw during that period, right? And that period, which is really was really a time for building, right? Did quite well in how we saw so much institutionalization come in that really made it ready for the next wave, right? And you saw places like you know Bloomberg obviously come in and provide data, right? You saw um, you know uh, places like you know Galaxy Digital. We grew our firm, right? We've been a very institutional firm from from the get go with Mike Novogratz, right? And, and, and former Goldman partners and, and other people that we've hired from financial and technology uh, communities, right? You saw Fidelity come into the space, backed by the New York, uh, backed uh, a company from uh, a custody company from the New York uh, Stock Exchange, right? Um, I think you saw companies like CI that we partner with in Canada start to do their work, right? You saw a lot of comp- places, right, just start to understand that we needed an infitu- institutional infrastructure right, to prepare for what was the next wave, because that those are the pools of capital that you needed to unlock, right? So I think from 2018 to like mid 2020, even though we had our moments of kind of rising, but we never hit that, you know, all time high, which we've now surpassed, uh, that was a building phase really to become more institutional. And then, you know, in, uh, you know, early 2020, we started to see kind of a lot of the uh, uh, thaw from the, from the crypto winter kind of happen. Right. And what you began to see was people start to have concerns about uh, inflation and other things in the economy. Um, you know, they certainly became concerned around the, you know, kind of what was happening in the U.S. Right. Around the, the election coming up. Um, and then really the, the catalyst w- was COVID-19. Right. And for, for all the horrible things that people have dealt with um, over the last year, driven by uh, COVID and, and the outbreak. Right. Um, and, and this pandemic, you really have to think about, um, you know, what that did for digitization, right? And people realized that we were going from a more analog society to a more digital society, right? People started working from home and they saw the advances in technology happen, right? I think that there was uh, a huge uh, understanding that we were going from a more local society to a more global society, right? Um, and I think that that really was a tailwind for digital assets, along with the global macroeconomic uh, state, right? You saw world-class investors like Paul Tudor Jones and Stan Drunkenmiller start understanding, you know, and saying, you know, Bitcoin, right, is digital gold. It is in a growth phase. It is going to be volatile, but it is deflationary in your portfolio. It has an inelastic supply curve. And then as investors started to understand the value proposition of Bitcoin and what it can do in a digitized world, they started to dig deeper, right? And then we started to see people do work over this, you know, kind of work from home, uh, you know, kind of COVID-19 period and start understanding digital assets from, um, you know, the side of like, what is Ethereum, right? What does this operating system do? What is it designed to do, right? What's the centralized finance that operates on top of Ethereum? NFTs now are this new sector for artists and curators and social media personalities and musicians to remove the middleman and operate peer to peer, right? So it kind of became this, you know, perfect storm, right? And there was volatility. And I'm sure that, you know, crypto benefited for some of the home day trading things that we've all read about and other asset classes, right? But really it kind of was that period of the building, right? The education, the understanding, the institutionalization, and then this wave of, you know, kind of like the perfect storm of things centered around digitization. And over the last year, we've seen kind of explosive growth, right? And I think this asset class went from, you know, is it going to happen? Will it not happen to, 
oh, wait, it's not just Bitcoin and ETH, right? It's these other areas that are now developing, right? And, and an ecosystem that is happening and we've kind of crossed the Rubicon, right? And now we're seeing volatility, but we're seeing you know, much more investment. We're seeing institutions take it seriously. We're seeing them put their money into it. And then we are seeing growth um, kind of across the board. Yeah, interesting. You, 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 you touched on that amazing growth that we've seen. And of course, always when something takes off like that, you get that sense of FOMO, that fear of missing right. out. And uh, um, I, I believe there's been a bunch of that out there. And so have people missed out or are, are we there? Have we topped out? Yeah, so I, I, that's a question we get all the time, right? And I think that people see the price of something like Bitcoin or see the price of ETH or they see kind of the, the move on a percentage basis. And what people need to really understand, right, is that price does not define an asset class, right? Investment defines an asset class, growth of what is in the asset class. And what we're really seeing, what those, if you look at those two avenues, right, on the growth front, right, we've grown a lot right? But it's very early stage. This is still early stage technology being built on top of early stage technology in a lot of cases, right? But it's um, growing, right? And, but we're in a very early stage that is not defined by price, right? It's just understanding that that te technology is still somewhat primitive, but we're seeing more and more talent now gravitate into this um, space, right? On the investment side of it, right? If you think about the largest pools of capital and what percentage that we've unlocked to kind of come into digital assets, it's a fraction of what the amount of money that some of these pools of capital are on the institutional basis, basis right? Retirement funds, pensions, endowments, uh, foundations, right? Um, you know, some of the large you know, LPs that exist out there, right? So I think on that basis, right, from a developmental basis, right, is very early, right? And for the amount of money that's coming to the space, still very early right now. Sure, you know, ha having the asset class be in this, you know, one to two trillion dollar range and, and really kind of establish itself, that's great. But we are very early stage. And I think people should understand that, you know, you could buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, right? You could buy a fraction of Ethereum. So there, there's a lot of ways that you can invest here and be a part of it and understand that, you know, there's really a lot of room to growth. Now, with that growth, there's going to be volatility. Right. That's that's something that early stage asset classes have. But I think it's very early. Yeah, it's uh, I, I do. I just find this all fascinating. By no means am I uh, an expert on this. And uh, hence the reason we're, we're chatting to you. <laughs> but uh, um, I think one of the things that a lot of uh, kept a lot of people out of it was they just couldn't figure out or weren't comfortable in a way uh, of, of the hoops that you had to jump through in order to hold that or buy it. And so can yep. you talk a little bit about the uh, development of the CI Bitcoin Ethereum uh, uh, funds? What are they and how and why were they developed? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, right? I think on-ramps for investors are important, right? Especially in an early stage, right? Because Investors still want everything to feel like everything else, right? They're putting their money in there. It's hard earned, right? Um, you know, whether you're an individual 
right, in retail who is, you know, just putting money in for investment, or you're a large fiduciary, right, that has a responsibility to your investors, right? You, you want things to have a look and a feel, right, like the rest of your portfolio, right? It's just human nature, and it's what you want, right? And at Galaxy, right, we have strived really from the beginning to be the bridge, right, between kind of that cypherpunk universe that is investing in this new technology, right, to kind of institutions, right, that and, and bridging that gap, right, and blending that world, right. We we think we've we've been a driver of digital assets, right, but we've also understood that we need to look for the right institutional partners, right. And in Canada, that happened to be CI, right, and we we felt that, you know, in launching products in Bitcoin and Ethereum were important, right? It, it provides investors with liquidity, right? It provides them with a way to access the investment and gain access to the underlying price action, tracking a Bloomberg index, right? That allows them to have that look and feel in their portfolio alongside other invest, other stocks, other ETFs, right? They get reporting, they can buy it in their brokerage accounts, right? And we think that these investments, while volatile and, and, and certainly um, early stage, right, giving that infrastructure they're comfortable with, where they don't have to go find a, a cold storage custodian or sign up in an exchange, right, and do their own taxes and all these other things was important, right? And that all comes down to what I referred to earlier as the institutionalization of the asset class, right? And as this asset class grows, more avenues for investors in traditional sense will come about and make it available for them to buy and sell in their brokerage accounts or you know work in a way that they're used to doing with everything else because that really makes the barrier for entry so much less daunting than it would be if you, if you had to go at it alone yeah which which adds to your uh uh plays on that that uh uh runway you say to uh, to growth and and how little of the market it's actually tapped right. is as it becomes more and more uh, easily available to people, it will grow. Before we talk about uh, that side of it, that's really more how I was looking to uh, uh, to close up. I just want to diverge a little bit because uh, I, um, I think it was a few weeks ago, um, might have been longer. Talk to us about the significance of a country like El Salvador adopting Bitcoin as legal tender in their country. Yeah, I, I think... It's really interesting, right? Because, you know, people said like, oh, well, El Salvador was just a small country, right? Or, you know, Bitcoin's too small, right? Or no one cares about it, right? And I think at the end of the day, right, people are, and, and you've even seen it, you saw it even too with corporate balance sheets, right? Um, people bought Bitcoin on corporate balance sheets, right? And what you're really seeing now is just widespread adoption, right? People look, and investors and governments and, and companies, and they're understanding the Bitcoin premise, right? In a world where things are constantly being devalued, things are constantly being decided by, um, you know, governments or organizations or individuals, right? Bitcoin will only ever be 21 million, right? A Bitcoin is worth the same anywhere in the world, right? It has an inelastic supply curve, right? It's really the adoption of the idea behind programmable money, money without borders, right? And understanding that everyone has a right to wealth, right? And they have a right to access a banking system, right? That is not governed necessarily by any one government. And I think what El Salvador was kind of understanding was 
that the Bitcoin premise is not just the premise of, you know, El Salvador, right? It's striving for the fact that like people globally, right? And people in El Salvador, right? Need to have access, right? To this asset and they need to be able to use it, right? And it needs to be, and it's because it is not governed, right? By the policies of what happens, right? In each individual secular government all over the world, right? And I think it's significant because you went from this kind of idea, right? Um, you know, 10, 12 years ago, right? To like, now we have a nation state, right? With its own sovereignty, adopting Bitcoin, right? As legal tender in that, in that place, right? And I think that is just so important, right? For people to understand, because usually it doesn't just stop in one place, right? You need, right. You need that one thing on the tipping block to, to get it going. Yeah, and so that's that. That's really it. Uh, uh, do I? I would think we're going to see other countries do this, and we'll see. Uh, they'll realize the benefit. It's. Uh, I think uh, part of what you're saying there is it, it's taking the politics out of currency, uh, and uh, there there's been uh, uh, emerging uh, uh, countries like El Salvador that uh, um, have been batted back and forth on their currencies by the whims of other countries. And uh, uh, so that helps take them out of that game and uh, uh, move them so much further uh, forward on the, uh, on that frontier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I also think that like, just people understanding what the idea is behind Bitcoin right, in a, in a public setting and, and on a government floor, right, on a global setting, right, and that being accepted, right, it matters not just for adoption, right, but it makes people understand what the problems are with the current system of monetary policy. Yeah, so it's, and, and this last question is really going to be uh, uh, how long is a piece of string, and uh, you've already said when I asked you to look backwards, uh, a, a couple of years is an eternity uh, in, in uh, cryptocurrencies, but give us a sense of the landscape uh, uh, and expectations over the next 12 to 24 months or whatever timeline you want to take it there. Um, and another kind of two pieces and maybe a little bit of an analogy, if, if we're thinking of this as a hockey stick, are, are, are we still on the blade? Are we just starting to curve up the shaft or are we all the way up to the top? Uh, and you've addressed that a little bit, but try and give us a sense of where you think we are. Um, and then the last little piece to that is your thoughts on the average person's exposure to something like this. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I certainly would say say that, you know, I, I guess because we're in Canada, right, we'll talk about it in terms of a hockey stick, right? And in, yeah. and in, in, in the US, right, we talk about it in terms of like a, a baseball game, right? It's like, we're first, second inning, right? So if I thought about it in terms of a hockey stick, right, we're still on the blade, right? I think that we're still in that period of time where so much money has not come into this space. I think that people are understanding it, right? A lot of asset classes, um, they grow actually in retail first, and then they, they get to a level where institutions care because they can put in a sizable amount of money, right? I think 
for a lot of people, you have to understand that this is volatile. Like growth is always volatile, right? And you have starts and stops and ups and downs and you put in, you know, you, you, you crack new ceilings and then you put in higher floors and, and, and a lot of things happen. But I, I think depending on your risk tolerance right now, um, everybody should have some kind of allocation, right? You, you, you should get off zero, right? You should wanna have growth. Um, but it's still probably only a like a one to 5% um, allocation for a lot of individuals, right? And, and obviously everyone should always do their own research and understand the risk that they're taking, right? And, and kind of understand that any investment can go to zero, right? And that's just a fact, right? Nothing's a certainty um, in markets, right? But I think when you're looking at your portfolio, right, a, a one to 5% um, allocation is probably what you're looking at. Great, fantastic, thank you. Uh, Paul, it's uh, been incredibly informative. Really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, speak to our listeners. Uh, and uh, we, we look forward to having you back on and uh, checking out to see uh, uh, where we've gone in the uh, time between our uh, conversations. Thanks so much. Absolutely great. Thanks for having me. A big thank you again to Paul Capelli for being our guest today on Wealth Wisdom Podcast. What you have heard is that blockchain and cryptocurrency is not going away. In fact, it has a real place now and that will only grow. Our clients tend to be curious and want to understand, but they also want to focus on what they do best and what they love most. They trust us to lay out the options, make a recommendation on what we believe is best for them, and then they make an informed decision. If you would like to discuss how this can be integrated into your portfolio, just reach out and let's set a time to chat. We touched on our next podcast subject ever so slightly today, but we'll dive deeper into the meaning of ESG, environmental, social governance, and why this has grown from a niche area to a very broad-based and influential movement. We'll talk about it in an easy to understand way on our next episode of Wealth Wisdom. Our goal is to educate and engage you, our audience, if you have any topics that you would like to dive into deeper, please let us know. We get emails, calls, and comments on our podcast, which are very much appreciated, and we love the feedback. If I can ask you a favor, if you enjoyed this, please write a short review. That would be very much appreciated as well. For those who don't know the origin of the name Sana Family Office, it stems from the meaning of Asante, which is Swahili for thank you. However, the most commonly spoken phrase in Swahili regarding Asante is Asante Sana, which means thank you very much. The name represents our gratitude towards all of the families and business owners that have chosen our team as their trusted advisory council. Until next time, Asante Sana. Hi, I'm Trevor Beggs from Sana Family Office, and thanks for listening to John Lawson and the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Here are the necessary disclosures. Asante Capital Management is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources, However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. 
Before acting on any of the above, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast.